0: So, are you DTFF?
1: Once again, here is Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football with your hosts, Dustin Lunt and Jake Trowbridge.
2: And welcome back to the show, everyone. You have... Found the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football podcast. Uh, we've got a great episode this evening and a very special guest with us. Um, we've got JJ Zacharyson joining us at late round QB. Good evening, sir. How are you doing?
0: What's going on, guys? I appreciate you guys having me. I feel bad. Uh, I know that this is a drinking fantasy show, but I, I I don't have alcohol, but I have my 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 tea that I always
1: have on shows. Yeah, we never. Look, you're allowed to put whatever you want in your okay. cup that you, you choose to come on here. We are we're not the peer okay. pressure type here, JJ.
0: Okay. Okay, fair. I just as long as I assume that as long as there was was a drink involved
1: it was okay. Yeah. It's absolutely a name. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> we leave it wide open there in the next so you're you're Good. spot on. Good.
2: <laughs> yeah, so um I'm here with my co host Jake. Jake, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm doing fantastic on this balmy Wisconsin evening. It's like 99% humidity right now, and and it's getting into my pores, so I apologize if I I seem a little dazed on this episode. It's just this heat gets to me. How are you, Dustin?
2: Oh, I'm terrific. I mean, what's better than cracking open one on a Tuesday night and talking some fantasy football. I You can't beat it. So I'm excited to be here and excited for the show. Yeah, we've got a good one on tap here. Uh, We're talking cluttered depth charts. And, um, you know, I know last week we talked about the running backs and the backfields in particular. So we'll kind of stay away from those this week, more or less, um, and, and kind of hit the other uh, offensive positional uh, uh, players here and, and, and like I said, stay away from the running back since we already hashed over that a little bit. Uh, but first things first, um, we always have our beer review of the week here. So, so, Jake, do you want to tell us about our beer this week?
1: I would be happy to. So, Dustin picked this one out, brought this one over tonight. And I just want to say that it's a, it's a lovely green, It's like a neon color. And I'm a person who likes to pick things out based on appearance. So this is something I would have picked out in the aisles. It's from New Holland. It's called Little Picklet, which is also an adorable name for for a beer. Uh, Four point six percent. The Session IPA is mm-hmm. what they call it, Dustin. A session yep. IPA.
2: This is what they call lawnmower beer. Something you can have when you're mowing the lawn, and and it's you're not going to do uh, wavy lines on your yard. You'll you'll mow it nice and straight the entire time.
1: I thought you meant it had like a, a grassy aftertaste to it or something. I was about no. to not get on board with this beer, but I'm. I'm I'm appreciative of your clarification.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, this is a nice easy drinker. I like this. Perfect for a as you said, a balmy Wisconsin day that we're having here. Mm-hmm
1: that's right you it seems like you're not having that experience jj with the weather at least i'm guessing but what's what's in your tea what flavor of tea are we drinking tonight
0: you know today today i am drinking some chamomile tea you know something just good on good for the stomach you know good for your your insides uh something that calms you and and really is a a good tea to to drink at night to relax as as the the day unfolds yeah
1: gut health Mindset—it's a holistic kind of tea, really. That's that's
0: exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: Nice.
2: I I love it. I should probably get on board with that. You know, I could use a little gut health around here every once in a while.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is the advertisement for this week. It's just whatever brand that tea is. We'll just make that the de facto uh, advertisement. Um, but I don't want to waste too much time up front mm-hmm. here, Dustin, because we have so much to dive into. Mm-hmm. Dare we venture into our favorite segment here?
2: Let's do it. Drunk, drunk, drum, drunk. drunk,
1: drunk, 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 hammer drunk, 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 drunk. trade of the week. So this week's submission comes into us from Facebook this time around from Jason Laverence on Facebook. How are you, Jason? Hope you're listening to this. Uh, He says, I think I got the better end and got drunk in celebration after the trade. So I'm piecing together, more likely the person who sent him the trade was uh, throwing it back a little bit more. This was a 10 team lead, by the way. We don't get a lot of submissions that are 10 teamers. So this is interesting, Uh, one QB, full PPR, Dynasty League. That's what we're dealing with here. He ended up sending away Alvin Kamara, and he received his teammate, Michael Thomas, David Johnson, and the 203 pick in this year's rookie draft, which you did clarify has not happened yet. So that pick is still anything. It could be a boat. So based off of this right now, <laughs> is the celebration warranted, JJ? For Jason, who ended up with uh, Michael Thomas, David Johnson in the two hundred and three. No, no, I, uh, I
0: I'm, I'm giving I'm giving the edge in this trade uh, to to the Alvin Kamara side. Uh, I mean, for a few reasons. Like number one, it's not a super flex league, correct? It's just a regular, uh, yeah, it's yep. just a regular one one quarterback league. So that two hundred and three even has less value, right? Because in the super flex league this year, especially, there's those five quarterbacks that are going to go within the first round, maybe Mac Jones slips into the second round, whatever. Uh, but you're guaranteed then, you know, in that early second round, at least one of those wide receivers that are in that tier that like, where, where, uh, maybe Elijah Moore is not going there anymore, but like the Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall type tier. Uh, so that's not going to happen with, with it being a one quarterback league. Uh, David Johnson just doesn't really do it for me. I I mean, maybe you get something for him from him this season, but, uh, even still, it's hard to imagine him having like a true, you know, plug and play type season. So this really comes down to Alvin Kamara versus Michael Thomas, then, right? Uh, and and to me, it's it's very easily Alvin Kamara. Even even if in this case, even if you're, I mean, I'm high on Michael Thomas. I love Michael Thomas this year. I think he's very undervalued. Uh, and in Dynasty, I think he's undervalued. Um, but even still, you got to play the market a little bit, and there's a pretty big gap between those two players. So uh, I am
1: going to side with the Alvin Kamara side in this trade. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oof! Sorry, Jason. Dustin, are you yeah. are you in a similar mindset there?
2: I am. I am. Uh, especially in a, a ten-team league, um, getting those elite running backs is even more important. Uh, I know we say you know the wide receiver position is a little bit more replaceable, um, and I'm expecting a big season, a bounce back season from Michael Thomas this year. So, um, but still, I, I feel like you know we, we've seen a lot of of young. Uh, wide receivers that have that chance to jump into that wide receiver one category this season, um, where finding that that number one running back um, can kind of be a crapshoot from year to year. So I, I like that that safety uh, of, of Elvin Kamara in this scenario. And you know, JJ said it perfectly. I mean, David Johnson isn't worth much of anything, and the two hundred three is you know probably a boat in this scenario. So uh, doesn't do much for me either. <laughs>
1: Uh, boat is Mac Jones' nickname, by the way. So that is what you're going to end up probably staring at the face <laughs> of. It's 203. Yeah, I, it's tough for me because I do really appreciate having the longevity that a wide receiver in this type typically provides with Michael Thomas. I think we can all agree that there's probably going to be a few more years of maybe not the exact same production he had recently, but up in that comparable tier. But Alvin Kamara, I don't think – I'm, I'm not worried about his usage, where I think he's just gonna fall off here anytime soon. He's more of like the shady McCoy, where I think he can last uh, quite a bit in the league. So, I don't know, I'm torn. I, I'm just gonna go with Michael Thomas because I, I almost feel bad for him at this point, Michael. <laughs> so, I, I, I wanna believe that he has like a top three season in him this year, even though I think it's gonna be more like, you know, locked in top six. Um, but I'll, I'll split the difference there. Either way, I don't know that the drunken celebration after the trade was maybe necessary here, um, but you know, you do you. Hey, uh, and... You know,
2: maybe, uh, maybe Jason here just really loves the slant routes, and that's why he's a big Michael Thomas fan, yeah. and you know, that could be it.
1: Absolutely. JJ, have you have you ever thrown back too many chamomiles and then made a drunk trade that you <laughs> that you regret like right away? Or do you do you have do you, is there like a, a limit to yourself that you do when you trade? I'm just curious. Like, I'm not going to today because I'm too busy and I'm not really paying attention or whatever.
0: Uh yeah, you mean like if I get too hammered before I I look at my fantasy teams. I mean, I made yeah. dumb trades via uh being a little intoxicated, yes. Uh but I feel like they haven't happened for a while. You know, I'm a parent now, so I have to be a little bit more responsible than I used to be. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I, I uh, drink and trade nearly as much as I used to. But, yeah, I mean, five, ten years
1: ago, all the time, they were usually pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's a low-key advantage to having children nobody talks about, by the <laughs> way. It makes you <laughs> Well, you yeah, because if you're –
0: if you're going to if you're going to be up you're just going to go to sleep like you don't want you just want sleep you need that sleep uh, <laughs> right. i mean so so that, that's really that's really the payoff there and so just like drinking in your living room looking at your fantasy teams you're saying no i'm, I'm going to that, that bed right now and I'm going
1: absolutely all right mm-hmm. I, I i love it well Dustin, before you kick us off into the meat of the episode here this week's episode of drinking and talking fantasy football is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com. That's o-m-i-o.com use the code omio 5 at checkout valid until july 31st for new users on all modes of transport it's just the pick me up 2021 needs jj i need to work on your speed reading capabilities by the way i've, I've listened to some recent episodes you get through it very quickly. no it's i fun. just i can't
0: even i, I can't even uh I, I, most days now or most times that i do it i can i can get through it without stuttering uh, but the start of it, it you're talking about the, the disclaimers and stuff, right? For the for the ad rates mm-hmm. that I do. My gosh, it's so insane. It's it's just so insane. Uh, but yeah, I can usually now get get, get through it without stumbling. But uh, at first, it was just a, a constant. It took me like five minutes to get through that thing. <laughs>
1: <You> yeah. Know, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm,
2: I might be aging myself here, but um, when you're going through that, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Micro Machines guy that used to do the ads yeah. for the Micro Machines.
0: Yeah, you're, you're I really need to like, <laughs> Yeah, I really need to just speed like record it once and speed it up real fast, and then just drop it in there. Instead, of, oh. I mean that would that would be the that's that's the real play. That's the next level uh, play, but I haven't gotten that's there. The move uh, that's
1: a boss yeah. move, and I like yeah. it.
2: Solving all the yeah. problems here on, on tonight's show, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Speaking of solving problems, uh, let's get into it here and talking cluttered depth charts and how we can. Um, you know, make our ways through these murky waters here. So JJ, uh, if you would, why don't you start us off with just a kind of overview here, uh, high level of how you can find value or where, where you're looking when you're checking out these step charts of how you can find value um, um, and, and how you go about determining, you know, which player how things are going to shake out.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm not putting that much stock into what the depth chart itself says right now. But if we're talking a little bit more just freely and hypothetically about what a depth chart is, and and you know, just this group of players and how we're sifting through this group of players, um, I'm really just using the backbone of uh, how good they are, what my models have said about them in the past from a prospect standpoint, uh, the type of role that they're going to play, and how logical. Uh, they fit within that role and within that scheme. So really just going through every, uh, every team and seeing what that sort of uh, min-max target share for wide receiver and then, you know, you get a, a rush share for, for running back as well, what that sort of can look like, um, and then sort of just looking at what that player's output then will be. You know, am I, am I reading uh, into what beat reporters are saying about certain guys? Not necessarily. I think that you're better off, generally speaking, uh, going against the grain with that kind of thing because, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see the market shift based on, you know, some random guy's eyes, right? Like, just, just some, some yeah. beat re- Nothing against beat reporters. They're doing their job and they're bringing forth good content. It's, it's intriguing content. But at the end of the day, a lot of beat reporters' reports uh, are saying that, oh, this guy's dominating camp or, or what have you. Uh, you know, that's it's subjective, right? There's subjectivity mm-hmm. to, to that. Um, and there's some beat reporters that are way better than others just based on history and how they're reporting and how objective they're being uh it's really you know whenever you get like the true hype train that uh makes things a little bit intriguing but again if you get that hype train like elijah moore is a good example so you get that that hype train going with elijah moore everyone's pumped about him uh will i get pumped about him too well i will only because i liked elijah moore already right so it's not that it's really changing my opinion it's not even really reinforcing my opinion it's just saying that well, I, I like Elijah more, so that's not necessarily changing. I'm kind of mad right now that more people are on him now, and his <laughs> ADP is rising. Right, so I, I'm sort of I'm, I'm sort of trying to ignore uh, some of those reports and just kind of going what go, going by what uh, the data says and and what sort of my process is is directing me towards. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that you said that about not letting it reinforce even your previous opinions because that is maybe the biggest trap that you can fall into is like well this mm-hmm. is good news and it goes with my preordained thoughts already so cool yeah. i'm gonna believe it and then if it right. doesn't align with what i already thought i'm gonna ignore it which i think is how right. a lot of people approach the off-season report game uh and it is a game and trying to follow it is very difficult so <laughs> um, good to know that uh that that's not a, a main factor there at least that i should be involved with because I want to stay I want to keep my head in the sand during basically yes. from now until like the first preseason game. Yes.
2: Yeah. So um outside of of you know your models that, that you built and you use, you know, when you're you're building out projections or or standing out the teams, etc. You know, is there something or is there anything else you look at as far as like if if a free agent signed and they got got a giant contract from a team or Uh, There was a coaching change in the offseason, things like that. Does that help you or do you use any of that information to to help, you know, maybe guide you uh, one way or the other when it comes to a a player or a group of players on a team?
0: Yeah, I mean, all the above, right? Uh, I would say that the contract aspect of things can sometimes be a little bit overblown within the fantasy community because a lot of times we're looking at we're we're not really looking at like what the delta would be between signing a random player like a a replacement level player versus signing uh the the player that that we're talking about here right so like you know there's been you you could look at a lot of running backs are are, are usually good examples because a lot of running backs uh will have some sort of baseline salary like you know veterans will make like a million million and a half a a year whatever um and if a running back signs for like like $2 Two million dollars or something for a two or two million dollars a year across two years. People are like, oh, but they gave them more money. It's like it's not really that significant, right? You're not playing a significant position, so you know the, the delta there doesn't really do it for me. It doesn't really move uh, the needle for me. Um, and then you also have to look at at you know like New England is an, an example where they spent up a lot at, at certain positions and whatnot. Um, and you just have to look at at how they approach free agency in general. And yeah, we can get excited for like Johnu or we can get excited for for even like a uh, Kendrick Bourne to a degree, uh, or, 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 a, a Nelson Aguilar is probably a better example. Um, but at the same time, they, they had a lot of cap space and they, they just clearly overspent. Right. Um, and so I'm not going to put too much emphasis into that, uh, into that side of things, the coaching stuff. Uh, I definitely am, uh, you know, coaching tendencies are very real. Uh, I'm, I'm more so inclined to look at, uh, you know, from a team level perspective, how coaches, uh, tend to call plays and and how they operate within neutral game scripts where where games are close so that you get a, a, a fairer view of of how they're calling plays in terms of pass to rush ratio um so I'm not really that like into uh, the analysis that'll say like oh this coach feeds his ex-receiver and this ex-receiver is now on this team therefore I'm going to draft this player uh you know Mike Williams great example right now with Joe Lombardi what's going on over in in, in LA where you know they're saying oh he's playing the Michael Thomas role and it's like okay well Mike Williams is not Michael Thomas like we have to understand that you know I and I don't mind Mike Williams this year but here here's the problem is how we it's it's how we attribute these things after the fact so I like Mike Williams this year I don't like Mike Williams because he's going to play the Michael Thomas role I like Mike Williams because he's generally just been kind of undervalued he has big touchdown upside Justin Herbert second year there's no other option now in that offense outside of Keenan Allen. So there's a lot of, of, of potential there for Mike Williams. It's not the Michael Thomas role that, that would really elevate him. Uh, but I think if, if Michael Thomas ends up going off uh, and having a great season and finishing in the top 30 or something in the position, everyone's going to say, oh, Joe Lombardi. He said that he was going to feed him like Michael Thomas. <laughs> like, no, there are other things that are going on. that. that and, and it's similar. You know, Back in the day, there was a narrative that uh, Kyle Shanahan fed his ex-receiver and then you go back and look, Kyle Shanahan had Andre Johnson and Julio Jones. Yeah, he's going to feed his ex-receiver when he has Andre Johnson and Julio Jones. And where is that narrative now? It doesn't exist because he doesn't have that same type of offense in those players. So I always lead with personnel, but I do think overall these coaches do have general philosophies that you can try to follow um, whenever you're projecting you know how this, the, the season will go down and how these teams are going to
1: operate offensively. Nice. Now, Dustin, before we jump into, like, the bulk, I know you said we didn't want to dive into running backs too much here because we we tried to slew through that as much as possible last week. But I will – I wanted to call attention to one in particular I think we both do because it was kind of the biggest hanging question still from, from last week. And, JJ, you just happened to have an episode about ambiguous backfields, which was fantastic. Was Listeners, if you have not downloaded listens, go do that. I mean, not right right now, but once we're done, go do that. Um, but you called out of course breakout potential with running backs and what it meant for their ADPs aligning and what it meant for them to be in a truly ambiguous backfield and you even did call out San Francisco as just one of those potential backfields so help us out here I mean yeah what do you believe to be the case with San Francisco's backfield for this year
0: yeah. So if I could just, I'll just recap cliff notes, the, the, the study sort of, right. Um, and today I actually dropped an article on that because people were asking questions and I wanted the data to just be out there so people could look at it. And I, I dubbed this theory, the ambiguous RB1 theory, which is the most creative thing I've ever uh, written in my life. Uh, and so, so, but essentially, essentially, you know, in in the past, I've looked at running back breakouts, wide receivers as well, but we're talking running back here. But I've, I've talked about and, and looked at running back breakouts um, and found trends that these breakouts share. And by breakout, I define them as running backs who exceeded average draft position expectation by 100 or more fantasy points. There's a formula that I that I use to figure that out. But it's guys who are drafted after round five and exceeded expectation by 100 or more points. One of the trends, there's four trends. They're pass catchers, they're usually not handcuffs, uh, and they're of all ages. But one of them was that they're part of these ambiguous backfields, which makes sense. If they're not handcuffs, they would be part of ambiguous backfields. And so, uh, I dug into the ambiguous backfield notion a little bit more over the last couple of weeks, and then that's sort of what the episode was on Monday. It all came to fruition. Uh, but basically, what I found was uh, it was one of those like aha moments that I have maybe once a year with fantasy football analysis. Like maybe I, I started doing like laps around my house, started started to strip naked <laughs> because I was so excited. Uh, but but it was it was it was a, a situation where. You know if you look at ambiguous backfields and what i'm referring to is uh you know backfields where we don't really know who the rb1 is or they you know it's just not clear like there's not a clear cut rb1 uh but if you look at uh, amb- ambiguous backfields and if you look at running backs who are drafted in the single digit rounds but after round five so round six through nine uh and if you then look at running backs who are rb1s on their own team so i'm talking like you know uh, Michael Carter, right? He's the RB1 on his team, not necessarily by depth chart, but by ADP, right? Uh, and then you look at RB2s, who have been drafted in that range since 2011. So again, RB2s being there was a running back on their team that was drafted ahead of them. The RB1s have a much significantly higher hit rate than the RB2s do, um, and so, which makes sense intuitively to a degree in those middle rounds, right? But then if you sort of section off the RB1s, so okay, we know RB1s are better than RB2s, but if you section off the RB1s and you say, this RB1 is being drafted in round six through nine with a teammate or, or with, a, with a running back teammate, a backfield teammate. So San Francisco being a perfect example versus this running back is the RB1 on his team and his a teammate is not being drafted with him in that round six through nine. He's being drafted later, right? So the two situations are really, really different because in one situation, you're basically saying there are two running backs being drafted in round six through nine. And the reason for that is probably because the situation is pretty good. We just don't know who the RB1 really is, right? So, you know, and if you look across the league right now, there's like four examples. But, you know, you look at Arizona, you look at San Francisco, you look at Tampa Bay, uh, and even Denver to a degree. They're all situations that are not bad uh, on paper, right? Uh, whereas if you look at the opposite a Michael Carter, it's the RB1 is dropping that low and there's no other running back being drafted around him because the situation sucks, right? Uh, And so what I I found, though, was that the RB1s with no teammate being drafted around them in the middle rounds, they had basically the exact same hit rate in terms of becoming a breakout running back as the RB2s did, okay? So it wasn't that high. It wasn't that significant. But the RB1s, who had an RB2 that was also drafted with them over the last 10 years, had had almost a 25% hit rate in terms of that player exceeding his ADP by 100 or more points, which... Is is bonkers. Like it was, it I, the, the sample size is a little bit small. There's only 17 instances of it happening over the last 10 years, but it's absolutely insane. What that basically tells us, if you look at the league right now and where how ADP is shaping up, you're basically looking at like Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, Trey Sermon, Chase Edmonds, those four running backs. I would say, uh, the, one of them is more than likely going to be a breakout running back this year, uh, just based on probability, right? And so as a result of that, then you can ap- approach and attack your drafts that way. So Trey Sermon is my answer to the San Francisco back. <laughs> and like
1: that, that is an incredible process to stumble upon. way it is you did. I mean, that's really, it's amazing stuff. And obviously we were not going to get there, Dustin. I think that's fair to say last mm-hmm. week, that was not coming close to in the range of, of probabilities for us, but Trey Sermon. So I, Now, I guess the follow-up question to that, real quick before we move on to the rest of the positions, is so you've identified that, you understand what the hit rate is, and you know you pegged your guy as Trey Sermon. With that hit rate, with that 25% now, how comfortable do you feel, let's say hypothetically, let's keep it with late roundness, if you punt RB for a little while, are you comfortable taking on Trey Sermon as let's say your RB two on your team? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that he's a pretty good modified zero RB, hero RB, anchor RB, whatever the heck you want to call it, RB (laughs) approach, right? Uh, I mean, I I think if you can get a round one running back and then you just pound wide receiver, maybe get a tight end in there, and then uh, you go to to running back and go to Trey Sermon in the seventh or whatever, uh, I think it makes total sense. Um, You know, I I think it's one of those situations, if you look at sort of some of the big hits – or bigger hits or just generally how things really worked out with those truly ambiguous backfields. Uh, You know, in recent history, we have seen rookies be those guys. So uh, two years ago was Miles Sanders was that guy. Uh, You know, we had Nick Chubb as that player. Last year, DeAndre Swift to a degree was that guy. Um, And so, you know, DeAndre Swift wasn't technically a breakout running back because he didn't exceed ADP by 100 more points. But, you know, you get the, the picture of like, like, Trey Sermon screams like one of those guys who maybe you'll get flex appeal from him uh, through the first chunk of the season, first six or seven weeks of the season, but then he could just take off during the second half of the season. And and that's really what we see a lot with those middle-round guys uh, and those middle-round rookies and in, in the way that their their seasons go. So, yeah, I'm all about it. And it's just another situation where, you know, you don't want to lose hope. If you don't get Trey Sermon too, then you can always say, I know this might be coming. Uh, so I'll, I'll trade for him, you know, once once week three or four hits if he's if he's not living up to expectation.
1: Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, I
2: like that. All right, so let's get into some of these other teams here. Um, I want to start um, with the with the quarterback position, and I have a couple teams here. Um, let's start with Denver first. I mean, you know, we've got Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Now, I'm in the camp where I believe Drew Locke is going to be given every opportunity to take a hold that position in camp and start the season as the starter but it is a little concerning that you know they brought Teddy in someone that maybe isn't very exciting as a quarterback but could get them through the season um if Drew Locke doesn't perform well you know what are what are your thoughts with this uh, quarterback room
0: um, I-, I would say I would agree with you completely. I mean, if you think of it from, like, a true team-building standpoint, I, I mean, what is even the point of Teddy Bridgewater, right? Like, I-, I-, I love Teddy. Like, I think he's a great dude, and I think that he's a very, very good replacement-level quarterback, right? Just a, a <laughs> solid enough starter. A solid enough starter that, you know, I would prefer him to start from a fantasy perspective and for the pass catchers there. But if you're looking at it from a front office standpoint – why you're just you're all, all you're doing is inviting purgatory you're just inviting you know this 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 very 500 well i guess you can't go 500 anymore uh but this very <laughs> average record uh right and so from that standpoint yeah you might as well just go with drew lock see what he what he can give you with these weapons and Cortland sutton being healthy again um and, and then kind of go from there my issue is that i think drew lock sucks uh i i, I don't <laughs> think he's I, I don't think he's very good i mean if you look at uh, last season, he had the second-worst completion percentage above expectation, uh, only better than Carson Wentz. Uh, he was one of the worst players uh, from a po- uh, from a clean pocket last year, Drew Locke was. Um, and, and, you know, I've said – I tweeted this actually earlier today that, you know, people have said I'd I'd rather have Drew Locke for Cortland Sutton than Teddy Bridgewater uh, because Cortland Sutton, you know, can get down the field and can make plays on the perimeter and Drew Locke might be a little bit more aggressive. I don't want Drew Locke for any of my wide receivers. You know, I just, I, I don't think that he's strong enough to to really support that consistently and to feel good about that. Uh, and we saw Teddy last year be able to support, um, you know, three wide receivers really for for Carolina. Um, and so, I, you know, I would prefer Teddy there, but I think that, you know, I would agree, Dustin, that that Denver's going to give Drew Locke every opportunity to, to win that job and to be their guy. I just don't have the most confidence in Drew Locke.
1: Yeah, Jake. What Boy, do you think? That is, uh, it speaks to my soul. I've just been avoiding <laughs> Denver. There's there's been few instances that I can think of in recent history where there's a quarterback situation like this where you know that there's going to be some sort of competition, but you're not going to be thrilled with whoever takes over anyhow, probably. So why why bother? Is kind of my my thought process process with that. And I do wonder to some extent, like, do you ever encounter those situations where it's like, I'm not even going to spend the brain power here to decide who is ultimately going to be better because it's not going to be worth it for me. I mean, as a professional, maybe you don't want to say that, but I certainly (laughs) encounter that all the time.
0: No, I I, I understand that. I totally understand that. And I think, you know, it's, it's a really tough dynamic because I'm someone who definitely believes that wide receiver talent in particular can win out regardless of their quarterback situation. And I think both Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are very good wide receivers. So it's it's a it's a tough situation. It's one of those like I, it's it's rough because it's one of those things where if you're gonna be high on Noah Fant, let's say, then it's very hard for me to say that that you should be high on both Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy as well. So it's one of those like if you're only playing in a couple leagues, you got I mean, I, I would I would say that, you know, don't go all in on, on an offense like this. Is I, I could see a scenario where a Cortland Sutton pans out, where a Jerry Judy pans out, where a Noah Fant pans out, but it's it's tough to see uh, one of them panning out, let alone two of them panning out, right? So I, I, I would, you know, play that a little bit cautious too.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now let's move on to uh, New Orleans here uh, because everyone seems to love Taysom Hill and, and when he gets on the field and, and the dynamic he brings to this offense. Uh, but they did bring Jameis Winston back, and Jameis had the opportunity to go sign somewhere else. Uh, and really get a starting job that we all expect him to get, and he's great for fantasy. So I feel like he was given um, you know, some sort of assurance that, that he was at least going to be given a, a fair shake at a starting role here in this offense now that Sean Payton's had him in the system for a year. He's been able to learn it. Um, so how do you see this working out? Is there going to be kind of like what we saw with Drew Brees and Taysom where there was just certain packages built in for Taysom Hill uh, when they wanted to switch things up a little bit.
0: Yeah. Are you talking about Taysom Hill's package over there, Dustin? Uh, Uh, Yeah. So I, I I can't help myself. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, I I think that's the way it's going to go down. I mean, if you look at, you know, I know I mentioned earlier about the beat reporters and stuff, but I I do think that there's a little bit of a difference between, you know, a wide receiver depth chart where talent is really just going to win out. And it's really ambiguous. And we don't know versus a quarterback position where, you know the coaching <clears throat> coaches are making a decision to put that quarterback on the field, right? Uh, a, a wide receiver from a fantasy perspective, if he's on the field, uh, if he's talented, he'll be targeted because targets are a talent statistic because he has to get open. Whereas a quarterback, it's a it's a coaching decision to put that quarterback on the field or not, right? Um, and so uh, from that standpoint, if you do read what beats are saying in in New Orleans, it does seem like things are 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 leaning towards Jameis. And I think it's really logical to lean that way. I mean, I, I don't know if Taysom Hill being quarterback is all that sustainable. I, I trust Sean Payton to put something awesome together uh, if Taysom Hill were were to be starter, but I just don't know how
1: sustainable it is. Um, and so
0: I'm expecting Jameis Winston to win that job. That's
1: where you and I differ, JJ. I don't trust Sean Payton. I don't, I don't trust yeah. him. I don't. I don't appreciate the games As that a he human. plays with my fantasy teams. Uh, he, he just does have this weird sort of like lingering. Uh, Let's call it what it is. It's a love. It's a bromance with Taysom Hill. And um, I I just, that like fallacy of logical coaching, it maybe shouldn't apply to Peyton because he's obviously had a much better track record than some of these other coaches where you could make that argument for. But it's just, it's so hard for me to trust. I want to believe, um, and, and I'm just not there yet. But hopefully, hopefully, now this is a situation where the beat reporters will totally steer me. And that's wrong, yeah. and I acknowledge that's wrong. But it's going to happen. Like the first blurb comes out, and they're like, "Jameis Winston looks amazing." I'm like, "Yes, right. now I believe." <laughs> yeah, I will say. I mean, I think Taysom Hill is going to stick around
0: and be uh, again. He's going to have like goal line packages, and it's going to be obnoxious, and we're all going to throw stuff at our television whenever we see it <laughs> happening. But uh, I, I still think I still think Jameis is is going to be like the the Drew Brees, if you will, in this.
2: All right, let's uh, get out of quarterbacks here, and let's talk about some some wide receiver uh, rooms here. Uh, I want to start with Dallas. I think everybody is in love with this offense, and rightfully so. What we saw from Dak in the beginning of the season was absolutely incredible. Uh, but we do have a very crowded wide receiver field here. We've got Amari Cooper, and we've got CeeDee Lamb, who had an excellent rookie season. And if it wasn't for Justin Jefferson, I think we'd be talking about him a heck of a lot more than we are. And then we got Michael Gallup, who has shown flashes um, as well. <laughs> so, do you really? It comes down to Amari and Ceedee Leah? Oh, excuse me.
1: <clears throat> who do you? You couldn't see? even say. Is it because Amari Cooper? He's had an aversion to Amari Cooper for a very long time, and I just wonder if getting those words out even hurt you to the degree that uh, you. you it feels like I'm allergic to, to the name. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. No, I'm actually. A, a, I, I've come around with Amari. Um, I still think he's going to be the number one option on that team, but I feel like it, it's going to be uh, very like razor thin as far as between him and CD. Uh, but, but how do you see this shaken out JJ?
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you from a projection standpoint that projecting this <laughs> offense, uh, Amari Cooper would be the wide receiver one. You know, he comes out a little bit ahead of CD lamb in my projections, but I, you know, I don't always follow my projections, and I don't, I don't just, just blindly go with that because I think that what that doesn't necessarily capture uh, is CeeDee Lamb just being one of the better wide receivers in all of football, not that Amari Mar- Mar- Cooper's not. It's just that we have a larger sample of Amari Cooper, and we haven't seen Amari Cooper be – yes, we've seen him be like a low-end wide receiver one. Yes, he's been a good wide receiver, don't get me wrong – but uh, you know we have we've never seen him with that like elite season with that like we we apps you know that Devontae Adams type season that Stephon Diggs type season um, and, and so I would argue shoot for upside a little bit and I think that CeeDee Lamb would be that guy I mean he's he's going to be twenty what is he twenty um, two and and his prospect profile is certainly there I mean Amari Cooper's was too but Amari Cooper's no longer you know a sophomore in the league where we have this ambiguity surrounding him as a player um, and so I I've sort of switched here because. Uh, I was on Amari Cooper uh, to start the offseason. season. I was like, "Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to to have Ceedee Lamb ahead of." I have Ceedee Lamb ahead of Amari Cooper now from a ranking standpoint because I'm just shooting for that upside a little bit more. Uh, and I think I think Lamb's range of outcomes uh, that the higher end is just higher than Amari Cooper's right now. Mm-hmm.
2: And Michael so, Gallup uh, still a good flex play, or are you just kind of off of him altogether for this? Yeah, season? I I,
0: I love I love Michael Gallup. Uh, I love him as a dart. I mean. You know, I, I always chase target share uh, generally, um, and, and his target share was fine enough last season, but uh, I'll, I'll chase target share. Like, Tyler Lockett's a great example of this. Just to, I mean, it's just an easier example to go down, but you know, Tyler Lockett was trash the second half of last year from a fantasy perspective, right? He just was not very good. Uh, but if you look at his target share, you're still averaging like 21% of the team's targets per game. So if you're going to guarantee me 21% of the team's targets, if not more in a Russell Wilson-led offense I will take that all day. Variance will hit I I, you know, I I, just think that's what happened with Tyler Lockett last year, plus he was hurt uh, and Michael Gallup, you know, you can make a similar argument where he's going to see like 15 16, 17% of the team's targets that might not seem that great uh, from a target share standpoint, it's pretty average but you're talking in a Dallas Cowboys offense, it's going to throw the ball a lot uh, and they, sh- they should be close to the top of the league and uh, points and yards, etc so uh, yeah, I like Gallup because – and then not only that, Gallup is a nice hedge if something were to happen to another player in that offense, right? If if Mari Cooper goes down, Michael Gallup steps up, he'll, he'll get more looks. Same with, with CeeDee Lamb. And then there's also the report that Michael Gallup's is playing a little bit more in the slot, which could be uh, interesting for him to see a little bit more looks too and a little bit of easier looks because uh, they really played him in the perimeter last year. So, yeah, I like Michael Gallup a good bit this year.
1: Mm-hmm. I just want to fawn over the Tyler Lockett love there for a second because his ADP is stupid. It's, it's the stupid. stupidest, it's stupid. lowest ADP, it's and funny. I understand the people don't like boom-bust wide receivers because they don't want to have to deal with when to put them in and when to sit them. Well, just play them and just play hope that you get the
0: points, just,
2: and that's just,
1: all you have just to do. Play mm-hmm. yeah, just play them.
2: Yeah, just play them. It's just that simple. <laughs> all right, let's move on to uh, Miami here. I want to jump to Miami uh, and their wide receiver core. Now – they brought in Will Fuller in the offseason. They have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams still there. They drafted Jalen Waddell. I, this is a pretty um, – lot, a lot of big names um, in, in this offense here. You know, And we haven't seen much out of Tua either. Um, so we have no idea where he's where he's going to be throwing the ball. And we know he's getting reunited with uh, his teammate from Alabama, which is great. Um But who, do you see someone becoming the number one target on this team? Or is it going to be kind of just spread around and kind of murky all season?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I would say that it's probably going to be fairly murky most of the season. If I were to to toss one guy out there, it would probably be Will Fuller. Um, And and the main reason for that is uh, we saw him, you know, perform well last year. Maybe maybe it was was the result of the steroids. But uh, regardless, you know, he performed at a high level last year. If you look at what Miami's doing right now, it makes so much sense what they did this offseason. So, you know, whether you like Jalen Waddle as a, as a pick at six or not, I don't even think that was necessarily their target. But regardless, Tua's a, a quarterback who throws to, to, to open players. He doesn't he doesn't throw and, and create contested catch situations. He's admitted that. He's, he's talked about that. Um, and, and so if you look at someone like Devontae Parker, not a wide receiver who gets a lot of separation. He's more of a bigger-bodied guy. Devontae Parker thrived with Ryan Fitzpatrick for a reason, because Ryan Fitzpatrick does not give a you-know-what about <laughs> about throwing picks, about throwing the contested catch situations. Uh, Tua does. Um, so what did Miami do, though, is instead of having Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, uh, they go out and get two guys who can stretch the field and create that separation in Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell, which is exactly what they needed to do. So it makes total sense that those two guys uh, are going to work a little bit better uh, with Tua the fact that Jalen waddles a rookie the situation isn't necessarily the best I'm just gonna lean with will fuller there but again I think I think waddle again fits with with what Tua can do and what what the the Miami offense wants to do so I understand the allure there but uh, I, I think if there's one guy that I would target be will Fuller. but I don't think I'm really targeting any of these guys very heavily
1: is there any room for a slot guy to potentially step up there? Or is that kind of because of the way that Tua does it, is that not even an option? I mean, I can't even think of who the ideal slot person would be there right now. I mean, they have like Lin Bowden, I guess, would would yeah. maybe <laughs> hypothetically be like the late, late round sleeper. But is there any room for that? Or is it going to be all perimeter, basically?
0: I think that they're going to play Jalen Waddle there uh, and, and have mm-hmm. Waddle be be a, 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 a slot guy that can stretch the field a good bit. Um, and just have that dynamic dyna- Dynamic element there uh, And then obviously they use Mike Gesicki there a lot too uh, And they'll move him around um, And so they'll have that bigger bodied option with Gesicki. Probably play Waddle in the slot Fuller and Devontae Parker on the outside And honestly it makes sense I mean that's a, that's a pretty dynamic group of pass catchers there At least from a mm-hmm. physicality standpoint um, And so I, it, it's really You know if Tua doesn't thrive this year Or do fairly well I think that they're in big big trouble
2: -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, So here, a quick question from the chat. If we'll break away for a second here, Um, thoughts on Damian Harris? Can he be an RB two on your team?
0: I yeah, I mean, so Damian Harris has been someone that I just will never back. Uh, It's it's uh, a scenario where I draft. Player, you know, I, I talked about some of the the criteria I look for in spotting breakout running backs. Um, and pass catchers uh, are, are very big. Breakout running backs generally have a disproportionate amount of uh, looks being through the air versus on the ground uh, versus other typical RB ones, RB twos, and RB threes. Um, and and damian Harris right now does not project for that. I mean, he had like a one percent target share. Like it was it was something <laughs> horrific last year. Um, and if James if James White were gone. Uh, You know, I would feel a little bit better about Damian Harris's upside of being a true three down back. But, you know, you have a scenario where New England's offense probably isn't going to be a top 10 offense this year. You have a scenario where Cam Newton is going to get the start more than likely to start the year. Maybe that he doesn't finish the season. We'll see. But he'll take away goal line looks. Um, And I also did a study that found that players on teams with rushing quarterbacks, uh, the personnel, wide receivers, running backs, etc., They don't perform as well in fantasy when they have a true uh, mobile quarterback on their team. And so there's just a lot of reasons to not be as high on Damian Harris. From a best ball standpoint, I know this is a cop-out answer. It's fine, because I do think he's going to give you some of those spiked weeks. I just From from a truly managed redraft league, it's just, he feels like he's just going to be such a headache, and I don't know where the upside's going to come unless there's an injury to like a James White or something like that. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and uh, let's stick on New England as long as we're talking about them here, because they have Not only the wide receiver position um, that is really murky, but also they brought in uh, Hunter Henry and John Smith here for tight ends. Um, So how do we see those two uh, positions? Why don't we start with the tight ends first? Because those were the two big names, and I think we were all really excited when they hit free agency to see where they're going to go then they both end up on the same team and it kind of uh, deflated all of us. So um, how do you see this, this working out? Uh, who who do you think is going to be the tight end to own on the, on the new England Patriots?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd probably lean Johnu in the situation in this situation just because I think he's a more dynamic, interesting player. Uh, the, the the problem I have with the new England offense in general is what I just alluded to with the fact that, uh, you know, you have this mobile quarterback, you, you have two options, at quarterback, you have a mobile quarterback, or you have a rookie quarterback historically both of those things have been pretty horrific for the personnel on that team on those teams uh the only times that they usually aren't is when you know a mobile quarterback has somewhat of an outlier season from a a passing standpoint or uh you know you're like buffalo last year where you throw a lot and a large percentage of those targets are going to one position like the wide receiver position that that buffalo had buffalo targeted the wide receiver position the second highest rate that we've seen since 2011 um and so that's why the wide receivers thrived right so you need something like that to happen in order for these players to truly, truly pan out. Um, and it's just really, really hard right now to get excited about that New England offense in general, just given the fact that we don't see mobile quarterbacks do well for their, their pass catchers and their running backs. And then rookie quarterbacks, if Mac Jones were to take over, we rarely see uh, wide receivers hit, tight ends hit on rookie quarterback teams, let alone more than one of them. So because we don't have like a clear cut, like it's different where you look at Chicago, right? And Justin Fields is there. It's very obvious who their one is. It's Allen Robinson, right? So you can still feel okay that in, in drafting Allen Robinson because we know that Allen Robinson is elite. We know that even though he is a rookie quarterback, there's this one guy that we can pinpoint in that offense who would be the guy that would work out. I, who's that guy in New England? We have no idea who that guy in New England is, right? And so that—that's my fear is that you know going in you're just really, really throwing darts. Maybe one of them pans out, but I don't think that we can really play probability strongly and say. This is absolutely the player who's going to pan out in
1: New England this year. By the way, poor one out for a Dalton Keene and Devin CST. Yes. That was the quickest <laughs> rise and fall of any yes. somewhat high drafted tight ends that I can remember. Yeah. Unfortunate.
2: Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know about those two guys. Um, let's, let's stay in the uh, Northeast here and talk about the Jets. Uh, their wide receiver room is a little... Um, a little retooled, let's say, from, from previous seasons. Uh, they brought in Corey Davis. Um, we've got the rookie Denzel Mims that we, or was a rookie last year, we didn't really see a whole lot from. Jamison Crowder's still there, uh, restructured his contract, and then brought in the rookie, rookie Elijah Moore. Um, who, I guess with Jamison Crowder there playing out of the slot, um, and I, I feel like that's kind of what Elijah Moore Position is as well. Do you see those two cannibalizing each other, or do we have to wait a year to see Elijah Moore? Because I know you know, as you said, you 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 liked him. Um, so why don't you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things I try to do, uh, and this is you know, I made the mistake, and I've made the mistake in the past. Uh, but one of the things I try to do is when I'm projecting a, a player uh, from from college to the pros, I don't want to typecast them too much into certain roles. Um, And and I think a lot of people did that with Justin Jefferson last year because his final year at LSU, he played the slot almost exclusively. Uh, But if you look previously, he did play on the outside for LSU, and then they played him in that slot role, which is what Terrace Marshall played last year. They just have that role uh, within that offense. But Justin Jefferson could still play on the outside. Sometimes there are players like Elijah Moore where they're riskier because we don't know how they're going to perform in the outside? I mean, Elijah Moore played pretty much in the slot exclusively. That's where his production came in college. Didn't play against much press. Um, and so as a result of that, we, we just have to do a little bit of projecting. It's not that that player can't do that. It's that there's just a little bit more variance in what that player is bringing to the table from uh, a fantasy standpoint. And so sometimes uh, the, the fantasy football market will uh, overstate their ability to project that role and I think, again, we saw that a little bit with Justin Jefferson last year. But they'll, they'll overstate their ability to project that role. Um, and, you know, I don't think we're seeing it with Elijah Moore per se because there's so much hype around him. Um, but that's just something to keep in mind. That I, I actually think that them bringing Jamison Crowder back, yeah, it would be ideal if Elijah Moore could play in the slot because I think he would just, like, dominate, right? But I actually viewed uh, Elijah Moore more as, like, a Tyler Lockett-type prospect who can play half of his snaps in the slot but also play on the outside and win deep and and, and run a full route tree. Um, and so I, I see a scenario here where, uh, and again, you know, I mentioned all the beat reporter stuff earlier. I'm, I mostly came from an angle of, of positivity because everyone's in the best shape of their life and everyone's good and and no one can be bad. But when you get a bad report, a consistent bad report on a player, that's something that I'm I'm paying attention to. Um, And one thing that's kind of consistent right now is that Denzel Mims uh, is not playing like with the ones and he's not necessarily showing up. Um, And if that's the case, then Elijah Moore is going to see the field probably on the outside right away. Um, And and Corey Davis has been, you know, more of a complimentary piece uh, when he's thrived throughout his career. Once they got AJ Brown, things got a little bit better for him. Um, And so I think that Elijah Moore has an opportunity to break free, truly break free in this offense. And again, it's not because of the hype. It's because Elijah Moore is a very, very good wide receiver. One of the better wide receivers that my prospect model has seen. So very high in Elijah Moore in this situation because I'm trying not to, to force my projection uh, of the, the sort of wide receiver that he is too hard into this situation.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's hit a couple more here uh, before we get out of here this evening. Um, Who should we talk about next? Jake, is there one in particular here on the show sheet that that you want us to hit?
1: Yeah, I'm really interested in what the Carolina offense looks like. I think in general this year, because obviously the big storyline, CMC is coming back, presumed full health. Now we have a new quarterback in Sam Darnold there uh, who does have a connection with Robbie Anderson, and I I don't want to overstate that, but I do wonder if you think that that actually does come into play. I love DJ Moore, uh, but I will not draft DJ Moore as high as his ADP is probably going to trend by the time redraft season actually hits us. And I'm probably going to hang back and take Robby Anderson. Do you think there's a shot that we could see a 1A, 1B situation there? Do you put anything into the connection there with Sam Darnold, I guess?
0: Um, I mean, you could put maybe a little bit. I, I wouldn't go like, you know, like you said, I wouldn't overstate that. But I, I will say the one thing that's that's consistent year-over-year year most, sticky, if you will, year-over-year year most, uh, is volume. And last year, Robbie Anderson saw like a 26% target share in this Carolina offense, had probably the quietest, like, top 10 fantasy season that we've ever seen. Uh, and, and, you know, he didn't find the end zone very often either. Uh, mm. The way that I see this offense sort of playing out um, is – you know, if you look at what happened last year, they used DJ Moore more as a down the field threat, um, and Robbie Anderson was more of that possession guy. I don't think that's necessarily going to change. And then what I think they're going to do is use Terrace Marshall, who I mentioned earlier, uh, played a lot in the slot at LSU his final year. I think they use Terrace Marshall as their primary slot receiver this year, um, and so because you know bigger you know, the, the Marcus Colston role, if you will, you know, this bigger bodied guy uh, who, who who can play the slot. Um and so you you put Marshall in the slot you have Robbie Anderson DJ Moore in the outside Robbie being more the possession guy DJ Moore being uh still continuing to be the higher a. dot player of, of all of them you know the difference is Sam if, if that is the role they're playing because you know Robbie Anderson with Sam Darnold was more of that deep threat right he what that's that's not what what he necessarily played uh with Carolina this past year so it's a little bit interesting and with Sam Darnold coming uh into the picture and Sam Darnold's a more aggressive passer than Teddy Bridgewater is that could favor and probably should favor DJ Moore a little bit more. But I agree with you from the standpoint of value in redraft right now that Robbie Anderson is probably the better value than DJ Moore is just given where they're being drafted, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. If we were to look at this like five years ago and the way that the market reacts to the previous season finishes – I mean, these ADPs would be flipped between Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, but everyone's sharper now. Everyone gets it now. They understand that there's a trajectory, that DJ Moore is a great prospect and a great player, and so they're chasing that as opposed to just going with the safer option who gave us just as good of a target share last year in Robbie Anderson. But I, I think that the gap is a little bit too big uh, between the two, so I'd probably lean Robbie Anderson there. But I do think that, you know, we're going to see DJ Moore sort of play more of the Robbie Anderson role that he played in New York. It's so, <laughs> such a bizarre situation.
1: It really is so weird. And and I hope that CMC, I mean, I, I want him obviously to thrive for fantasy. I do just hope that he doesn't cut so much into everybody else's yeah. workload um, that it makes them not irrelevant. But, you know, last year we saw three of those guys basically finish back to back to back in yeah. points per game literally like one spot right after the other Curtis Samuel obviously gone now but um Terrace Marshall so you mentioned him obviously you talked about him being utilized in the slot is there projecting what you said Sam Darnold's very aggressive do you think that that leads to famine for Marshall for this year at least
0: I mean here's the thing I don't think there's a there's a non-zero chance that Terrace Marshall is better than Curtis Samuel I, like, I don't think that that's an insane thing to... I mean, Terrace Marshall was an incredible recruit out of high school. In college, he kept up with Jamar Chase uh, and Justin Jefferson when he was a sophomore, and then he got hurt. And then that's why his numbers didn't look as good as their, theirs did when during that Joe Burrow season. And then last year, Terrace Marshall played 7 of 10 LSU games, and his market share numbers were out of control during those 7 games. I mean, and he's an alpha build. He's, he's an incredibly good... I mean, I'm, I'm obviously very high on Terrace Marshall, but... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's an incredibly good wide receiver. Um, and I, don't, I, I just don't think that there's this like, you know, Curtis Samuel's gone, so it's fine that Christian McCaffrey's back because everyone can still eat because the Curtis Samuel target share is gone. What if Terrace Marshall is just as good, if not better? I don't think it's a non-zero chance. He's a second-round pick that only fell because of medicals, uh, and he has a really good background and, and a good prospect profile. So, yeah, I mean, from that standpoint... It could be a little bit more difficult for these guys to hit that 26% target. Like, like I think Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore are more in that like 21 to 23% range as opposed to that 25, 26% range, which can be significant, especially you know if Sam Darnold doesn't perform very well. So I-, I wouldn't say that I'm like super high on any of those guys. I'm I'm pretty much just like cool with where their ADPs are
2: nice and then we'll do one last one here um and i will save the grossest for the gross here um, i don't even want to talk about it but i feel like i have to uh, this is the one team i just i don't know what to expect this year and that's the houston texans i mean we've got the whole deshaun watson situation here where we don't know if he's going to play or not um and if he does play i think that totally changes the the outlook for their season and and the fantasy relevant players on their team but i mean the running backs they've got just a hodgepodge there with um uh, david johnson mark ingram philip lindsey uh i feel like i'm missing not forget else. rex burkhead yeah, the rex big burkhead.
1: addition to that backfield. yeah sexy offseason. rexy
2: and then with the wide receivers i mean brandon cooks is you know the number one there that that's undisputed but then you've got you know like your kiki cooties and and nico collins was just drafted and i believe randall cobb is still there um so there's just kind of this whole hodgepodge of who's who's of, of names in fantasy. Um, so why don't you just talk about how you see this playing out or who we can expect maybe um, to, to kind of take the lead on this team, whether Deshaun Watson is playing or if he's out. I mean, because like I said, that, that'll really change um, things there.
0: I feel like I feel like the Texans are playing like Madden 16, and they're like they're they're just like they're just getting all these like they're doing like franchise mode, and they're just trading for all these fun running backs and wide receivers, and they're like oh this is sweet, and then not realizing that it's 2021. Uh, but yeah, so so you know Brandon Cooks is one of those players who comes out in projections looking pretty good, um, and it's because he can capture a pretty big target share in that offense. Um, now will I be drafting Brandon Cooks aggressively because of that? No, I don't really go after. Again, I don't. I don't use the projections as gospel, and I'm just not really feeling this offense and what it could be. I think, if anything, if you want to throw a dart, I'm kind of intrigued by Nico Collins, mostly because um, he was a, a, an interesting prospect, decent prospect profile, uh, you know, decent production, nothing special, but he's a big body dude. Um, and and there's really not a true red zone threat in that offense, and so I think that that you know, if you want to pinpoint. Someone, maybe it would be Nico Collins. Um, you know, I, 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 mean, he could lead that team in touchdowns this year. Wouldn't be surprising, but what does that really mean? You know, maybe that's only like three or four touchdowns. Um, right. And then you know, the backfield, the, the the backfield just doesn't really do it for me. We talked about David Johnson earlier. Um, it's it's really tough to get behind David Johnson, uh, even though he had a stretch last year where he was fine. Um, but with all those other pieces there, it's just hard to to really think that he has a high ceiling. Uh, especially an offense just doesn't look very good uh, in general. So. I can understand Brandon Cooks as long as you're not drafting him in that true, like, like upside range of wide receivers, like a Chase Claypool range, right? If you can get him, like, in a tier or two below that, I'd feel comfortable. Um, and then as a dart throw, if you want to go with Nico Collins, I'd say go for it um, and just see if, if he hits as a player because uh, his prospect profile
1: at least had that, like, alpha archetype, that that alpha potential. mm mm-hmm. It makes me so sad what you're saying about Brandon Cooks. I need him, and I want him I to just be so good I again. I love Brandon Cooks. Yeah, I he love just, Brandon He just, he deserves Cook. it. You know, after, yeah. what, the fifth team that he's been on in his career? Fourth, fifth team? At this point, yeah. he's just so underappreciated. Mm-hmm. I do hope that at least, like, even if Tyrod Taylor starts, at least maybe he can chuck a deep ball or two mm-hmm. and get yeah. him uh, into the games and be consistent. But I think we can all agree, tight end. And the Houston Texans, that's one we can just punt away and not talk about ever, yes, right? Yes, that's fair yeah. to do? Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah well, um, I think we'll uh, stop here then for the evening. I'm sure we could uh, talk about every team and, and their um... – Depth charts here, and, and who's going to come out on top? Uh, but JJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, why don't you tell the folks here before we leave where people can find you and what you do and all that sorts of good stuff?
0: Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at late round QB, and then a lot of my efforts kind of go into my podcast at this point, the Late Round Podcast, which can be found anywhere podcast can be found. All
1: right. In your ears, listeners. <laughs> That's the place. That's it,
2: Jake. Where can people find you out there?
1: I'm out there doofing around at Jake Trowbridge on Twitter.
2: All right. You can find our podcast at Drinking Fantasy on Twitter, and you can find me at FF Dusty Dog. Uh, Please go out, give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, folks, keep drinking and talking fantasy football.
1: Here's FFers.